0: Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast, the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. And guess what, Mr. Badgley? We are 64. Did you ever think we'd be able to say when I'm 64 about our show? (laughs) No, never. I
1: really didn't, Tony. I'm going to be honest. But you know what's funny? 100's not so far away.
0: No, 100 is not far away at all. And, uh, You you know, I was just thinking back. I did, actually, when I... I uh, was working on the the sketches for the show. I, I thought we'd hit 64 and, I, and I'm convinced we're going to hit a hundred. I'm very excited about that.
1: I am so excited. I, I remember when we first, one of our first shows and, and we were talking a story and you said, well, next year we'll do this. And I kept thinking, you're being really optimistic thinking we're still doing this in a year, but okay. And here we are almost two years, you know, we're going, you know, we're closer to two years in one year. Yeah. So I, I'm just, I, I love it. I, and you know what? I I wouldn't miss a second of it. It's been fantastic. Um, these road trips with you love it.
0: Yeah, me too. Now, just to let listeners know, we are going to be taking a two week hiatus after today's show, not because we're going away, but because you are going away and you're going to be fulfilling a lifelong dream. And I'm so excited for you, but, uh, I am, you are going to be going to Liverpool and, I know that for you, you've wanted to do this trip ever since you probably could pronounce the words Liverpool, right? And Beatles. And <laughs> so congratulations, man. I'm so excited for you.
1: Oh, I'm so excited. I, you know, I've been a Beatle fan since I can remember, since three or four years old, and and we booked the tours of the childhood homes of John and Paul. We've got a magical mystery tour booked. We're going to the cavern. Oh, we're just so excited. We cannot wait. It's going to be very emotional. I mean, it's going to be emotional, one, because we're leaving our daughter in, in Dublin, who's going to be studying there for a year. But also, I think for me to go to Liverpool, um, it's going to be emotional and very expensive because I have a sick feeling I'll be spending money. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, you know what? Uh, It'll be a great opportunity for you and Andrea, and I'm very, very excited for you. So we'll be taking two weeks off, and then we'll be back the weekend, the week of the 22nd, and then you'll be coming up here to visit in person uh, at our new pad in Perth, so really excited about that as well. Me too. Me too. We can do a show in person, which is really, I
1: always love doing, so yeah.
0: Oh, that's true. We can do a show from down here in the bunker, and you
1: can see what it's all about. (laughs) I'm, I'm so excited about that, and and we'll have some goodies for you and Cynthia from Liverpool, no doubt, and uh, oh yeah, it's so exciting. So er, th- th- this next month is totally, totally exciting.
0: Oh, congratulations. Now, in honor of your trip, uh, you noticed that when I planned the show this week, I picked four Beatles stories. That. So we are doing all Beatles today, and we've got a nice eclectic mix, but what do you say we get started with this thing? Sounds
1: great to me. So, Tony, the first thing we're going to talk about, we're going to go to Liverpool. And on August 1st, 1963, a magazine is published for the first time. It's called The Beatles Monthly. And it is a magazine devoted to the group, The Beatles, obviously. It would continue until 1969, which is when The Beatles, you know, broke up, more or less. At 77 issues. But get this, Tony. At its peak, it was selling three hundred and fifty thousand copies an issue and you could go and buy this in magazine stores It wasn't just subscription only right
0: now you know, that is a, an astounding figure three hundred and fifty thousand copies a month you know what uh, legacy media right now wouldn't give their eye teeth to be selling those kind of numbers eh
1: I know and and uh, it, it, it's there was a little magazine just all on the beatles and and thankfully uh, they repre they republished them in the seventies and eighties. So I have one or two original ones, but I've got the represses. And then they started writing new ones, believe it or not. They, because the Beatles got so popular again um, in the 80s, they started doing new issues,
0: uh, which continued until 2003, if you can believe that. Yeah, that's uh, I was surprised by that, but not, not surprised at the same time. Now, the driving force right behind... Um, all of this was a guy named Sean O'Mahony, which there there's an Irish name. If I ever heard one, I I was gonna say, it's not Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sean,
1: but he, he passed away just, I guess just 2020, right? I think it says that.
0: Yeah. He passed away in 2020 and he retired from publishing in 2002, but he was the, the driving force behind this Beatles monthly magazine. But when you think back to all the times, even in recent memory, the Beatles never go away. You know, do you remember when uh, Rock Band, the game Rock Band, and then the... Uh, oh, yeah. I remember uh, kids getting totally into the Beatles again because of Beatles Rock Band, right? So, and right. Then, the, then there's right. been other things. And I'm sure, how much do you want to bet because of all the buzz around the Elvis movie that uh, it's been creating a, a tremendous amount of interest how much do you want to bet another Beatles biopic is going to be coming out in the next couple of years?
1: Oh, for sure. And look at the success of Get Back,
0: which you and I are going to watch in August. We sure are. Now, I'm hoping our uh, Andrea and Cynthia, our wives, are going to be okay with us just parking on the couch and doing nothing but (laughs) Beatles for five or six hours. But uh, maybe we can spread it out (laughs) over three or four days or something. We can.
1: We can, sure. Absolutely, yes. But you're right. The Beatles just don't go away. And your teacher... And you used to have me as a guest coming talk about the Beatles, but your, your students knew and like the Beatles, didn't they?
0: They sure did, and uh, they they knew them a lot more after I was done with them. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> they sort sure of knew Elvis too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I just want to say one thing about the
1: Beatles book. Beatles well, it's two Beatles monthly Beatles book. Is that they, they had access, this is pre internet, but they had access to behind the scenes. So if you look at the magazine, Tony, there's some really cool photos over the years that are only available if you get the
0: magazine because they were copyright or whatever, but some really cool behind the scenes shots. Oh, that sounds amazing. And uh, what a run that had. So I think it made it to what, 321 issues, did it not? By the Can time. Can you believe that? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's pretty incredible when you think of all the work that goes into doing that and just coming up with original content, right? For 321 issues. That's, that's something I else.
1: I subscribed from 1982 on, man, I tell you, I was like,
0: just waiting with the mailbox. <laughs> now let's take a look at what you uh, chose. Cause we always do a chart with each of our stops on the road trip and you picked the top five U S singles on August yeah, 1st, 1963. Well,
1: because I thought this was the stuff that the Beatles would have been listening to, you know, as as they're starting out in their their career, right? Because they're just starting. So, number five, I can't hmm, Andy Williams can't get can't get used to losing you. Great song.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, number four, the Orions with South Street. Number three, Ro- Ruby and the Romantics. Our day will come. Number two, Skeeter Davis. Love that name. Uh, the end of the world and number one, the controversial, <laughs> chiffons. He's so fine. Which, as we all know, uh, the the writer of that song later sued George
0: Harrison because of "My Sweet Lord." Oh, that's right, that's right. And, uh, I mean, there there are similarities for sure. But then you wonder, like, there's only so many different ways that chords can be put together, right? So,
1: well, I think the classic comment Harrison made in court was, he actually said in court he was, I. I I wasn't aware of the song. I took the notes for Oh Happy Day and played them backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, George, George, George.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is a slippery slope, that whole argument, because, boy, uh, musicians unconsciously borrow from each other all the time. And it partly explains why McCartney was so terrified when he came up with the idea for yesterday, right? He, He kept that... Absolutely. He kept that for a couple of weeks before really introducing it because he was so worried that did i rip that off from somewhere (laughs) i don't blame him no blame him a bit now what do you say we fast forward one day but we'll go ahead many many years uh to august the 2nd 2000 and in honor of your trip of course we're staying in liverpool so we will be (laughs) right back So we all know that rock stars are in the limelight, right? The lead singer, the lead guitarist, the bass player, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but these guys have to get their instruments from somewhere. Including the Beatles, and this story involves the music store where the Beatles purchased a lot of the gear that they used, and I thought that's a great story to put in today's show just again because of your trip. So, let's talk about that a little bit. It's a classic classic store from liverpool called rushworth and draper and it closed down after 150 years can you believe that 150 wow. years of trading amazing eh? but it uh, it be- became famous after supplying the beatles and other liverpool groups with their musical instruments so let's talk a little bit about rushworth and draper
1: before we do tony i have a question for you have you ever read a book called the beatles gear which is a book entirely about all the
0: instruments they used in their career I have not. I've read other similar books about other musicians, though. You know what? I need to get this book for you because I think you as a musician would really appreciate
1: it. I mean, you would appreciate it more than I do because, you know, I, I don't know much of a difference between – it's a good book. And they mentioned this this place in that book quite a bit because, you know, the Beatles, they, they bought a lot of their instruments um, from 62 on. I mean, George and John bought their first Gibson guitars, imported from Chicago um that's pretty cool don't you think i mean it's it's and it, it surprises me that the the place shut down and and is gone basically
0: well you know what's even more surprising me it to me is that it's not a museum of some type wouldn't that make an excellent museum don't you think
1: i agree and then when i read the, the notes and it said that they, they they tore it down but not they didn't tear it down basically but they the archives were destroyed and the, the Victorian clock in the works tower was removed. I mean, can you, why would they remove that? That's like that. That's just history, right? Oh my gosh.
0: It is. But it, it's funny how you, you know, I've, I've visited a lot of American cities and you hear stories about how famous buildings, Radio City Music Hall, for instance, almost got torn down in the late seventies. Isn't that mm-hmm. hard to believe? Mm-hmm. And yet that is an iconic uh, example of art deco architecture which would would be horrifying nowadays to think of tearing something like that down but there yeah. was a real movement in mm-hmm. the 70s i don't know what it was late 70s early 80s just bad taste seemed to be rampant and tearing down these historic buildings to throw up these awful looking rectangles you know i i don't get it box stores i mean can you
1: imagine replacing something with like the, yeah you're right just a huge box store so jim mccartney paul's dad actually shopped here as well, because Paul's dad had a, a jazz band. What's it called? Jim Mack and his jazz band. Oh, that's right. Jim Mack's jazz band, yeah. So he 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 bought his... Stuff. So the, the history of just... And of course, the other Liverpudlian groups, Jerry and the Pacemakers, Scylla Black, um, uh, I can't, the, the the Remo Four, um, all these bands, including bands into the 70s who are from Liverpool. Would shop this store and it I guess it just I guess this the sons or the grandsons didn't want to run it anymore. Oh, and the other thing is, just as a point of interest, there was a photograph in there of the Beatles with their instruments, and one of the photographs had a picture of George with the black eye. And we had talked about this before, when he got the black eye because it kicked Pete Best out of the band. Oh
0: yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. But, um, you know, so that's a a historic place gone, sadly.
0: And it is, uh, it is really too bad. But the first thing that musicians do, we all do it. Like Rick and I, in fact, were uh, watching something yesterday at a venue we were checking out. And the first thing we did on break was went up and introduced ourselves to the musician who was playing and we're talking gear, right? That's, that's the very first thing. Looking at what Mikey was using, taking a look at the board uh what amp he was using it's just what we do so it 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 would have been a great place to preserve and and check out all that gear
1: but you and rick for example do you use the same place i mean you've been playing music for most of your life but in in and around ottawa do you go to the same stores to get your you know equipment or whatever you need
0: um not necessarily anymore um but I go to the same repair guy. I have a repair guy that uh, I trust with my horns. Uh, that I and I won't go anywhere else. And in fact, I'll ship it to him because I live about an hour and a half away now from him. So I will ship it to him uh, as opposed to bringing it to somebody closer because I just trust the work that he does. So.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the question is, what happens if he retires?
0: Yeah, that is a question. Well, hopefully uh, he'll have a good re- recommendation.
1: Ah, good point. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're right. Musicians talk instruments and gear, right? I, and it's, you, you know, you and I, you, I remember when we first started, you were talking about microphones. It's just sailing up from my head, right? <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: now it was yesterday. That was the first thing I was looking at the microphone this guy was using and it was an unusual choice. And I said to Rick, like, why is he using that for a live gig? But went and talked to him and it was great hearing him give his rationale for it. I love that stuff. And speaking of stuff that we love, you love the charts. and I do. You've got a great chart here for this week, so uh, let's lay it on us. Well, I thought I'd go to the UK Top 5 Album Charts, because everything else
1: in this episode is going to be singles. Number 5 is an album we talked about not too long ago, because it's B.B. King with Eric Clapton, Riding with the King, which was B.B. King's biggest album of his career, which came at you know, this late in his career. Number four, Anastasia with "Not That Kind." Number three, Hans Zimmer, the soundtrack to Mission Impossible Two. Great soundtrack, by the way. Mm-hmm. Number two is Bon Jovi, "Crush," and number one, an Irish band. Do you know the chorus? Yeah, I love the chorus. Actually, I do too. I love the chorus. Fantastic group, really good band. Uh, an album called "In Blue." In Blue. Here's a trivia for you. You might want to get the bell ready.
0: Okay, I'll get the bell ready. The the, the, the
1: the one of the lead singers of the chorus got her start by being in the film The Commitments. Was
0: that Andrea? Andrea Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not she's, surprised. She's in The Commitments. Well, there you go. I'm going to ring the bell anyway because, because I, I figured it had to be Andrea out of all the chorus members, but uh, here's <laughs> why did the bell. You think, why, why did you think it was her? It's just curious. Oh, uh, well, I mean, just locker room talk. She's a good-looking lady. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah i was gonna say they're not hard on the eyes the three girls so no <laughs> not at all
0: so uh, they won the genetic lottery for sure now i'm gonna i have an aside to these charts before we get in trouble here for um yeah is bon keep jovi rolling, keep rolling uh were you ever a bon jovi fan because i i remember at first th- rolling my eyes every time i heard bon jovi and then uh were you ever a fan
1: i wasn't at first i've okay. become a fan over the last uh i'd say 15 years, 20 years. Okay, yeah.
0: I wasn't either, but Cynthia loved, as as did any woman, right, who could. So, again, not hard on the eyes. Yeah, exactly. So, she wanted to go see Bon Jovi, and I was like, begrudgingly, I said, sure, let's go. And I, I went, and it was one of the best live shows I've ever seen. And they rocked really? hard for two and a half hours. There was no opening act, did not stop. Uh, the, and it was a fantastic, fantastic show. So that changed my opinion immensely, and I'd go see them again in a heartbeat. Actually,
1: well, I think I think you know, in the eighties, you kind of have a reaction to the visuals, the videos, and the the swagger. And I think he grew into himself. If that makes any sense, like I think he's like he's a. I think I can listen to the latest Bon Jovi stuff better than I can listen to Slippery When Wet. You know, yeah. But I I I, I appreciate him more now. Yeah.
0: I love his Lost Highway album, actually. Uh,
1: That's a good album, yeah. That's yeah, fantastic. I was
0: just listening to that the yeah. other day, actually. Yeah, N- good album. Now, once in a while on these shows, we throw in classic uh, retro commercials, and this would be a good time for a commercial break. So, I agree, yeah. We've got a, a classic Beatles commercial here, and we'll be right back. Attention, adults. You need help. Mother, are you depressed because your fabric softener has been hardening on you lately? Dad, are you despondent because your stock slipped 14 points in one day? If so, stop worrying. Help is on the way. <laughs> Help is the new Beatles movie. We're telling you about it now because it took you so long to get down to see A Hard Day's Night, the Beatles' first movie. Once you were there, you will laugh just as hard as any of the critics, including your own sons and daughters. So here's our helpful hint for troubled grown-ups. See Help. It's in color. It's a United Artists release. It's got spine-tickling adventures, side-tingling laughter, and a Beatles-eye view of this much-too-serious world. So be the first adult in your group to seek help from the Beatles.
1: Then, recommend to the kids. One of the places in Liverpool I'm most excited to visit is, of course, the Cavern, the Cavern Club, where the Beatles played... uh, I think it's the numbers 292 times because they used to do lunch hour gigs and then they would do evening gigs, right? And um, so this day in 1963, they played their last ever performance at the Cavern Club in Liverpool. Hard to believe, 63. Because if you think about this in 63, they had already had um, Please Please Me as a hit, Love Me Do as a hit, and their album was coming out. And they, they fulfilled their commitment to the Cavern Club and people were lined up. Right around Matthew Street, just because they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So historic day that they had played their last gig here. And Tony, I'm going to take tons of photos for you when I'm in the Cavern Club. And um, it's amazing. Uh, Just a little note, their first fees when they played the Cavern Club was five pounds. They received 300 pounds for their last performance. Oh,
0: yeah, that's amazing. And of course, one of those lunchtime performances was when Brian Epstein saw them for the first time, right?
1: That's a hundred percent right. Yeah. It was a lunchtime gig. Sure. Yeah.
0: And the descriptions of that club are, are fascinating too, because it was, it was like a, a hole in the ground. Right. And, and you hear that it would be packed with teenagers and, you know, just moisture dripping off the walls. Can you imagine?
1: Oh, I know. I, well, I think it was originally a wine cellar, wasn't it? I, I think I had to, Make sure I got the exact facts, but the Beatles themselves said that they would do they would finish their set at lunch hour and be soaked like just yeah. soaked, <laughs> you know. Have you ever seen that clip of them doing some other guy? Yes, it's I have. Cab- and they're even in that clip, they're they're it, you could just see the moisture on the walls and the But there's no windows, you're underground, right? So
0: yeah but you know what i think in terms of the whole legend behind the beatles and the lore would you want it any other way like no what a, it's perfect no
1: well I'm, it's close to your heart because it was originally a jazz club that's they just right. uh, jazz jazz only you know that was it man they, they but as as jazz kind of morphed into rock they started going to rock and roll
0: yeah and uh enjoy your visit there I, I i wonder how much of it is that you can actually see do you know like can you actually still go into the original club part and see what it was like downstairs
1: Yep, you they they it it's it's you can go in you can go on the stage now oh, really if you want at nighttime there's performances we didn't there's nothing happening when we're there that really kind of caught my interest okay but uh, we'll see when I'm there but yeah you can go right down for a tour of it and um, I may steal a brick no I'm just kidding <laughs> just kidding <laughs> Paul McCartney played there again in 1999 he was releasing an album called Run Devil Run. And he had David Gilmour on guitar and John Lord playing with him as well from Deep Purple, and they played the Cavern Club. Oh and wow! It's, it's on YouTube. You should check it out. It's 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 quite funny. And he only did one Beatles song. He did "I Saw Her Standing There," but um, I think what the, the funny bit is when Paul goes, "Well, we'll do one song by the Rolling Stones." <laughs> 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 but um, no, I'm I'm very excited. But it was it was an historic club, and it's it's. Um, what can you
0: say tony it's it's it's
1: the, it, what can you say
0: yeah i it's mean they're the
1: cavern club it's it all you have to say
0: it, it's looms large in the legend behind the beatles and and everything happened there first right so uh, everything a,
1: well even even the debut of songs like one m64 or things like that
0: yeah and in fact wasn't there a power outage on the night of their last performance that's right yeah so that's another yeah, famous you, story can you imagine, though, Tony, you and I are working together
1: in Liverpool. Hey, what are you doing at lunch? Not much. Do you want to grab a sandwich and go see the Beatles? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, no. It, power outages, um, and, and the Beatles played through it all. So. Well, they
0: did, and on that outage on the last gig, uh, they played an acoustic version of When I'm 64, which ties into it. our 64th episode here. So that's I'm ringing the bell for that. That's a neat coincidence. Yeah, and-
1: you're doing that segue thing again.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just I just I I am I'm, I'm trying hard to get my head around that I'm gonna be there because I you have to understand everyone. And Tony, you know this. Yeah. You bought me a great Beatle book and and and, and, and um I've been reading about the coverage since I could read. I mean, that's literally the truth. I when I was five, I got a book called The True Story of the Beatles by Tom Shepard. And see, I even remember the author. And it it I just thought I want to go to the cavern. So fifty four years later, I'm a going.
0: And is that so, the, the one destination that you're the most excited about on your trip, do you think?
1: I think so. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Just because of the history. I think I'm gonna put it's like it'd be like the other place I want to do that too, it's
0: with the Ryman. Yes. Yep. The Ryman's really, amazing, by the way. I it I know you've been there, right? Yep. I've never been there. Yeah. And, and I, I imagine you can feel the history, no? Oh, it's dripping with history. It's incredible. Yeah, the the rhyme in the Grand Ole Opry, it, the performance on stage, just know what they're involved with there and the history invo- behind those buildings. It's it's amazing.
1: Yeah. So I I that's and you and I we've talked about doing a road trip to Nashville and, and Graceland and and Sun Studios and we're going to do that next year for sure. But. Yeah. um or maybe this year—you never know.
0: <laughs> yeah, hopefully even in the fall, maybe. But uh,
1: yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Now you've got you've got something interesting here, though. Take a look at this. Um, you've got a chart—the t- UK top five singles—and this would have been what 1963, but the Beatles aren't on the top five.
1: No, because because the following week. They're going to release a song we're going to talk about next. And there's a special song at number one this week on this chart that I'm going to talk about very briefly. So let's go through the top five, shall we? Sure. Number five is Billy Fury with Like I've Never Been Gone. Number four, The Shadows without Cliff Richard. "Foot Tapper" instrumental. Number three, Cliff Richard and The Shadows with Summer Holiday. Number two, Ned Miller, From a Jug to a King. And number one is a song called How Do You Do It? How Do You Do It is significant because it's by Jerry the Pacemakers. George Martin wanted the Beatles to record How Do You Do It. They recorded How Do You Do It. Oh, They hated, hated, hated How Do You Do It. <laughs> they didn't write it, and they, they they had a rule. They said, every single we're releasing, we're going to write. So they refused to release. Now, this is pretty tough talk for a group that just had one single out. Yeah. the single The single they released instead was Please Please Me, which made number two. But Jerry and the Pacemakers proved George Martin right by having a number one single with How Do You
0: Do It. Is the so is the audio available for uh, the Beatles version of that song? Has it been preserved? Yeah,
1: and it is. And I've included it in the playlist so you can oh. hear it. I think the Beatles do a fine version of it. But the Beatles, they just couldn't stand it. <laughs> Could not stand the song.
0: So Now we've got one more stop on our all Beatles road trip. And we're going to be heading over to the States for this one. But it ties into Liverpool, of course. And this is a story about the first little bit of exposure that the Beatles had in the States before they made it big. So we'll be right back. So in 1963, Beatlemania was in full swing in England, but across the pond in the United States, not so much. And in fact, a lot of DJs at first wouldn't play the Beatles, would they?
1: No, wouldn't touch with a barge ball.
0: Yeah, so that's hard to believe considering that, you know, a few short months later the British invasion would officially launch. But here is a story, and I, I found this, and I thought this is really worth putting on the show. The UK Music Weekly... The NME, it reported that the Beatles could potentially score their first U.S. hit with From Me to You as the single was, and this is their words, bubbling under on the charts at number 116. So a sign of things to come. (laughs) Big hit, big hit, 116. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the Billboard charts, Tony, they used to have this
1: thing called bubbling under. So they had the top 100 and then they had 20 more singles that they would identify as getting attention. The Beatles never made it past the bubbling understage until I want to hold your hand. Um, But can you believe that? I mean, so next week in England, For Me To You is going to be number one across the country. And in the same way the Beatles turned down How Do You Do It, Helen Shapiro, who the Beatles had toured with, turned down For Me To You. The Beatles said, hey, do you want a song? No, (laughs) no, thank you. (laughs) Of course, the Beatles had their one of their biggest hits although people don't talk about the song that much anymore it was one of their biggest hits it got overshadowed by she loves you i want to hold your hand and all that but for me to you was massive so you're quite it's, it's an interesting story and what's interesting about the song for me to you is adele shannon who happened to be in england heard it recorded it and he took it into the u.s top 100 being the first time john and paul made the top 100 as writers so I mean, it made number 67, minor hit, number 13 in Canada by Del Shannon. And I put that on the playlist too. Right, oh, good.
0: Media. I don't know the Del Shannon version of that song, actually, so I'm looking <laughs> forward to listening to that.
1: Well, don't get too excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, incredible, incredible just what was happening, eh? Oh. Uh, there's a there's a great comment by McCartney. Did you see that? It's, can you? It's. I think you'd be great reading it This yeah. when, when he realizes it's a hit
0: yeah he's, he says the first time I thought we'd really <laughs> made it was when I was lying in bed one morning and I heard a milkman whistling from me to you actually I'm sure that I once heard a bird whistling it as well I swear I did what a great quote what a terrible accent what a great quote
1: <laughs> great, great accent great accent great accent <clears throat> Can you imagine being the guy who wrote a song? You can hear the milkman whistling it. That must have been pretty cool for me. It. Cooler than even hearing it on the radio.
0: Well, absolutely. And I mean, it's got a great hook. You know, that's one thing. Those two lads, Lennon and McCartney, sure knew how to put uh, notes and chords together and and had these hooks that are instantly recognizable, right?
1: Oh, yeah. and It's it's a great song. I still love "For Me To You. It's one of my favorites. early yeah. earlier, one of my favorites.
0: I'm always impressed too, you know, when you look at the, the sheer volume, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize the number of songs that they wrote that they gave to other people. Oh, tons. tons. It's astounding. Like when you look at the number of tunes that these two, they, they were prodigious. It was crazy. And they were hits, a world
1: without love, um, from a Window, all these songs were, Do You Want to Know a Secret? I mean, they were all hits too, and, and incredible. They just wrote constantly, Hey, eh, Tony?
0: Yes, yes, amazing. So that was our last story on the trip, and you, my friend, are getting ready for your real trip as opposed to this virtual one. But let's do the charts before we do that. Before we send you off, let's do one final chart here.
1: Well, because I'm also going to Ireland, I thought I'd do the top five singles of Ireland that week. Why not? Yeah, right? why not? Number five, Elvis Presley is still massive in Ireland. Can I just tell you, I, if you listen to Irish radio any given time, you're going to hear Elvis at some point in the next 15 seconds. Uh, you're the devil in disguise, is the number five. Number four, Frank Ifield, my mom's favorite. You grew up with Perry Como. I grew up with Mr. Ifield yodeling um, and his classic song, I'm Confessing. Number three, your favorite, Ray Charles. Take These Chains From My Heart. Number two, Wink Martindale, who most people will know as the host of game shows. Yes, yes. (laughs) Do you remember him in the 70s? I do, yeah. He was a DJ, and he had a hit with a song called Deck of Cards. And number one is, again, the flip side to How Do You Do It. It's called I Like It by Jerry and the Pacemakers.
0: Oh, great chart. So you know what uh this is a great spot to end the show aaron and wish you yeah. well on your voyage oh, thank you and i'm i'm again i'm so excited for you i i love it when people get a chance to realize childhood dreams and uh i can't wait to hear all about it and and keep me posted
1: well i'll be texting you from Ireland or england not yeah, that. i'll be sending you photos via facebook promise you that much oh
0: awesome and you know what i'm gonna do is i'll save all those photos and and uh Put them in some kind of album I think it'd be fun to look back on those as we uh, move forward with this show and with other projects that we've got in the works
1: sounds great I'm in man listen you have a good two weeks too and, and I, I'll, I'll miss doing this but uh, I'll be communicating with you anyways okay
0: that sounds great and of course before we sign off here let's thank everybody who needs to be thanked Rick Denis provided the music for today and let's thank the fans out there who listen to the show and share it every week thank you without you of course there would be no show so we love that you join us on the road every week and please join us again after our two-week hiatus in the meantime folks aaron when the man is getting you down i suppose you can go to liverpool but uh, what else can you do
1: well even if you're in liverpool you still gotta rock man you gotta rock it so that's basically it
0: have a good trip my friend
1: thank you